0: So, our scripture today is Matthew 4, verses 12 to 23. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake, in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Praise be to God.
1: Well, good morning. Feels a little wild in here, but I'm uh, just jumping in with the flow of that. Loving today. Um, a couple of quick things before we jump into this. I uh, want to again say happy Lunar New Year. We do realize this is a very important day for people uh, all around the world and for many in our body, so I want to recognize that. Also, want to do one more last pitch, the last one, especially for those of you who are newer or have not been involved in groups. This upcoming Wednesday, we kick off our next cycle of 10 midweek groups. So, starts at seven o'clock in here and then we break into groups um for about an hour and then eat together at the end and it's a great opportunity for connection so if you are newish or have not been one of these and i can provoke you to consider that it starts this upcoming wednesday so we're going to solidify groups in the next couple days so if you're virtually or listening please email me if you're here in person please grab me afterwards we'd love to have you participate so next cycle of midweek begins this next wednesday sound good All right. Well, I just was kind of thinking of some of my young adult years as I was uh, studying this passage. Um, Some of you know that I, before going to ministry, tried my hand. I was actually never very good at technology, but I liked starting businesses. So I started a couple of businesses when I was young and um, in my young 20s. And um, in in those days, I was like, I tend to be an all-in person, whatever I do. So I was very all-in on being an entrepreneur. so yeah, in those early 20 years, I studied entrepreneurship nonstop. I went to conferences for entrepreneurs, read books around it, listened to stuff from leadership networks. And so back in that day, I don't know if this is still like the obsession in business circles because I'm not in that as much anymore. But when I was in my young 20s doing that, there was an obsession with the word vision. Say the word vision. Vision, thank you. So um, this, was, this was what the business gurus would concentrate all the time on. They would say, if you start a business, it's so important that the vision is clear that customers know why you exist and what you're trying to do, that people who work for you know what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it, that you yourself are driven by a clear vision. So there would be all these sessions around vision, around the importance of having a clear-cut vision for an organization. And so some of this you can intuitively figure out, but they would often warn up against the two dangers of vision, and you could figure out why. So um, it's a, a vision statement can't be too short, too simple. For why? why. What, what's the danger of a vision statement being too short or too simple? You can probably figure this out right it's like not inspiring it doesn't get to the big picture enough yeah right it's like not enough information right so you gotta watch one side where a vision statement is too short doesn't give enough information they said here's a mistake a lot of other organizations make they've got like a vision statement that's like 25 sentences on a plaque right so it describes every single thing that the organization ever hopes it would do but what's the danger of a super long vision statement yeah nobody ever remembers it right so it might sound compelling if you you read it, all twenty-five lines, but nobody's gonna ever remember that, right? So this would be this is there would be, there'd be coaches, business coaches that would make so much money on this. Like they'd literally come in and do these two-day sessions to fine-tune a vision statement, picking all the right words. Bottom line: here's what the business gurus would say. They would say a vision statement needs to thread that needle where it's long enough that it's got substance, short enough that it's memorable. That this is like one of the most crucial tasks of a leader is to make a really clear vision statement. Okay, why do I share? That? I think it's fascinating. Not that I'm suggesting Jesus should submit himself to the guidelines of business gurus and how he talks about (laughs) what life with God is like. But it's an interesting exercise to think about the incarnation, which to me is endlessly fascinating that God entered the flesh for many reasons, but part of it was to show us in the clearest terms possible what Christianity is like. So Jesus, and this is the passage we read today, when Jesus starts sharing publicly for the first time, When Jesus starts preaching for the first time, what he says in this account in Matthew is actually what he says in all four gospel accounts. The first thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth is the most consistent thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth to describe the vision of life with God. And I think it's kind of an interesting way to think about that. There's a lot of dimension to vision with life of God. And, you know, this isn't about passing a doctrine test, say what's the vision, because you could say it in different ways. I've heard some people say, You know, love, love, love is the vision statement. You know, love God, love people. I mean, I wouldn't argue with that. But really, if you're watching, we're in the book of Matthew here for a little while as we follow the lectionary passages on this. What you see clearly in Matthew, but also in the other gospel accounts, is that Jesus always wraps the vision of life with God around this single statement that we read today. So there's lots of things that happen in this passage, but Matthew's ultimately using all of these to highlight this one single statement of what Jesus says. I think you could really clearly argue this is the essential vision statement of life with God. Jesus puts it in the form of an invitation, of an action. Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near, or the kingdom of heaven, which is synonymous. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Now, I want to start there for a moment just to consider that, because if you actually were pressed to say, what is the vision? Like, if you were going to say, God has a vision statement for what life with God is like, I really think through the lens of Jesus, through the words of Jesus, you can't find a more clear vision statement than that. This is how Jesus starts his ministry, and how about this? So we're in Matthew. There's 28 chapters in the book of Matthew. 50 times Jesus will talk about the kingdom of God, the nearest to the kingdom of God in the book of Matthew. For Matthew, this is the essential message, right? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Now, there's a couple of things that are interesting. For one, I, I find in, you can go on both sides, the conservative and progressive side of the church. It's very rare, actually, even still, that you hear churches summarize life with God around the notion of the nearness of the kingdom of God. It's still not the most, it's still not a common way to describe the vision of life with God. There's probably a whole bunch of reasons for that that are worth exploring. One of them at the most basic level I think is just, it's kind of complicated when you say it, right? It's like not super intuitive. If you say, here's the message of God through Jesus, repent for the kingdom of God is near, now now move. It's not always intuitive what you even do with that, right? I'm going to kind of like try to bring this home again. Like one of the exercises I'm doing with my kids regularly, 13-year-old, 10-year-old, I've asked them to memorize the Lord's Prayer. So we pray that together. When we have enough time in the car, I'll ask them to reflect on each stanza of the Lord's Prayer. Of course, in the middle of that is the kingdom, right? That kingdom come, that will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So here's what I consistently find. The parts on the before the kingdom, the parts after the kingdom come really intuitively to them without any prompts, right? So if you say, when you all think about this notion that Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, what all comes to you on that? And they can pretty quickly get there that God wants us to think of God as a loving parent. And God wants us to think of ourselves as beloved children and that there's something very special about that, right? Yeah, so what does that mean? We'll concentrate on that. You go to the other side of the kingdom part, you say, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Like they they can pretty intuitively get to the real depth of some of what that is getting to. When you get to that big chunk in the middle, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth it is, is in heaven, you say, hey, what does that mean? It's kind of like, uh, I don't know, be good, be, would it be good at school, be good, I don't know, like, right? It's just like, it's just not as easy to get to. And I actually, it, it's kind of a fresh reminder for me of like, there's this kind of disconnect in a lot of ways that the central message of Jesus is the kingdom of God. And it's not always real easy to grab onto if that's kind of the essential message for us. So what I wanted to kind of take a different tactic today. I mean, there's not really, if, if, if sh- let's say shorthand for the kingdom of God is talking about how God dreams of the world working. All right, let's just use that as a shorthand way that the kingdom of God is about God's dream of how life would work for us, for the world, for each other. What, what, I, what I want to do rather than trying to like give kind of this super tight definition, what I'd like to do is actually walk through Matthew a little bit um, and we won't take long to do this, but I want to show you how significant the kingdom of the of the kingdom of heaven is to Matthew in particular. It's important to Mark, Luke, John as well. But for Matthew, this is literally like he can't understand who Jesus is without talking about the nearness of the kingdom of God. And so if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to actually invite you to do this. Here's what we're going to do. So we're, the reading today was in chapter four. We'll kind of make our way back there at the very end, but I, we're just going to drop in, but I want to show you how like every chapter up till this is Matthew building up to this moment where Jesus talks about the nearness of the kingdom of God, the importance of us repenting, turning away from the old ways, the other kingdoms of this world, and responding, um, and then show you how he's going to kind of set the arc for the whole the whole rest of the book. So I've got like a slide for each one with like one verse from it, but if you want to even open your Bibles on your t- screen or your physical Bible, I want to invite you to just look through the book of Matthew at this idea of the centrality of the kingdom of God. So That's what we're going to do. All right. And then um, that's going to be what we do today. And then we'll kind of close out with just a little bit of like, what will that mean for us? All right. So when you watch Matthew tell us about God coming in the flesh in the person of Jesus for Matthew, if you open to chapter one, you see that most of chapter one is a genealogy. All right. It's the family tree from what Jesus comes. And so here's where Matthew one opens up. uh, uh, And this is a real important statement. And it's going to help make sense of the whole family tree, but also of this centrality of the kingdom of God. Um, Here's how Matthew 1 opens. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, which is the Jewish term for the coming king, the son of David. All right, so this doesn't jump out to us necessarily as super important, but for the readers, the Jewish listeners who are trying to understand who Jesus was, first according to Matthew, and then they'll hear from Jesus' own words, Matthew is saying the Messiah that we have been praying for waiting for putting our faith in for a thousand years the Messiah who would be in the lineage of the line of David who would be a king in the line of David this is the person of Jesus let me take you just one single passage to show you kind of the importance of this this is from Isaiah this is a very famous um, advent passage if you go ahead to the next screen if you would Ken this is from Isaiah And all of it's important, but I really just want to focus on the kingdom phrase. So famously, Isaiah says, unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And then here's the connection that Matthew's making to this really famous passage. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, an important language here. This is how... This is how for centuries the Jewish people thought of what the kingdom of God meant. Establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord God will accomplish this. All right, so this is like really important to understand, like where Matthew is starting the account, that for centuries the Jewish people have been waiting for this Messiah, the king, who will come in the line of David and who will bring a kingdom that's marked by justice, right, equality. Uh, tearing down strongholds of oppression, lifting up those who have been oppressed, creating kind of an environment of flourishing and nurturing the human potential of every person. This is what everybody's been waiting for the whole time. So when Matthew opens up the gospel account of Jesus by saying, Here is the story of the one who has come from the line of David to continue that fulfillment of that prophecy. That's where he's going. So let me, I'm going to put a little thing at the end of each of these slides. You can go to the next one. We'll just do like a little, a little summary of each one. So what, Matthew 1, what's the meaning for Matthew? That Jesus is the fulfillment of the promised Messiah to the nation of Israel, that he will usher in a kingdom marked by peace and justice. Okay, I mean, I think you could really say that's kind of the heart of where Matthew is trying to go in chapter one. It's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom of God. Matthew is saying the one we have been waiting for to usher in the kingdom of God is here. It's a new day. Go to Matthew 2, next slide. Here's how Matthew 2 opens up. this is a famous Christmas story, right? And uh, if you grew up in church, you know all these, but I'm linking them all to the kingdom of God now. Matthew 2, here's where Matthew's gonna go in the second chapter. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, we looked at Herod Jr. last week. This is the original Herod that created so much strife. Magi from the East came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born what? King of the Jews, right? The central, central theme. Um, building on Matthew 1, where Matthew says, this is him, this is the one that the Messiah that God has promised. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. All right, so in addition to the Magi, kind of continuing the story, chapter 2 introduces a new angle to the king, right? The fact that Herod plays such a central role is really big, because if you know the story, you know that Herod, who is, is the, the king, kind of the puppet king of Rome at that time, but still has a lot of power. He is so threatened by Jesus, the baby Jesus, who's the king of Jews, that what does he do? It's horrible what he does. Herod executes every single baby boy in the community, hoping to catch Jesus in that slaughter so that this king of the Jews won't ever grow up and be able to fulfill this promise that's been put on him. So where Matthew's going in the second chapter, he's introducing really a core part, that the kingdom of Jesus is in direct... uh, conflict with the kingdoms of this world right Matthew and we saw this last week with the beheading of John Matthew's doing this in Matthew 2 as well what Matthew is showing is that the kingdoms of this world when left to their own devices are built around power corruption greed um, hierarchy all the things we've been praying against today and they're dangerous and they're violent and the kingdom of God the good news is it presents an alternative uh, way to live and to move but they will always be in conflict with each other, the kingdoms of this world in the kingdom of God. And therefore, it's going to require a choice, which we'll get to in the next chapter. But yeah, let's 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 do a summary of Matthew 2. The kingdom ushered in through Jesus will always be at odds with the selfish and violent kingdoms of this world. Right, that's kind of an essential message that Matthew builds in chapter 2. So you see how this is, you know, we're on our way to chapter 4, where Jesus announces the kingdom. But you see how much work Matthew's already done, showing chapter 1 how the essential message of Jesus is that he is the coming king, the promised king in the line of David. Chapter 2, the violent nature of the kingdoms of this world that we're going to see play out over and over again, then and now. And then this, this starts to lead to Matthew 3, which is kind of the last big buildup before Jesus comes out with these words. Matthew chapter 3. Uh, let me read a couple excerpts. This is you know, John the Baptist plays a huge role as a forerunner, as one who prepares the way for Jesus. So in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Does that sound familiar at all? Is that not what we just read in chapter four as this essential message of Jesus? And so kind of in God's good design, John the Baptist comes first, showing people the way, um, proclaiming this exact same message that Jesus himself will say is the central message. And then where Matthew three becomes really interesting and part of the story, and we already read this as one of the passages in the lectionary, but the lectionary doesn't go in, chronological order, it goes according to the church calendar. Where chapter three becomes important, and then this this is where it goes next. People went out to him from everywhere, from Jerusalem, from, from Jerusalem, from all over Judea, from the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, which is one of the things you do as part of repentance. They were baptized by John in the Jordan River. All right, why is it important? This is really the last big image I want you to see. Chapter one, the lineage, the genealogies, the coming king, chapter two, the contest between the violent kingdoms of this world, chapter three now. The baptism, and this is this is why baptism is so important. Baptism is a recognition by us that we are leaving the old kingdom, right? That we are saying, not only are we entering into life with Jesus, but we are leaving the old kingdom. We are leaving behind the violent, corrupt, selfish ways of this world. We are repudiating them. And then this kind of deep symbolism of being immersed and baptized into the love of God. And we come out now with a new sense of identity. Forgiven, beloved, delighted in, participating in the coming kingdom of God. This is what baptism signifies, is a leaving of the old and an entering into the new. And so for Matthew, that's actually a pretty important connection point to the kingdom of God. As you can see, that's what John was preaching, was repent, because the kingdom is here. Baptism showed that you understood what you were repenting from, what you were entering into. And so for Matthew, the baptism becomes another key imagery. So these are all building up, the genealogy of Jesus the battle between Herod's kingdom and the kingdom of God, the baptism. And then chapter four, very first words from Jesus, mirror that of John. Repent. Receive this good news of the coming kingdom of God. Right now, yeah we'll do a little bit of bonus here because i just want to show you how 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 we're going to come back to matthew for in a minute let's skip over. i want to actually just show you how matthew continues on this you, you still get enough energy for this because this kind of gives you a sense of how matthew is organized let's go to, if you're looking at your bibles matthew 5 through 7 what does everybody call matthew 5 through 7 if you're looking at your bibles sermon on the mount right most famous sermon in the bible this three chapter long sermon from matthew the next three lectionary passages will all draw from the sermon on the mount when you follow Matthew's telling of the person of Jesus, of the incarnation of God through Jesus, it's helpful to understand what the Sermon on the Mount is trying to accomplish. Right? What Matthew is saying is, Jesus has said it now, that the kingdom of God has come near, that we are to repent, be baptized, enter into this. And now what the Sermon on the Mount is, is Jesus explaining what life in the kingdom is like. Right? That would be another term you could use for Matthew 5 through 7 of Jesus preaching what it's like to repent and follow in the kingdom of God. Right, In fact, there's even... Very famous Matthew 6, Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer. It ends at the end of chapter 6, Jesus says, so here's the bottom line, seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and all else will be added. All right, and then, yeah, so we've got that on Matthew 5 through 7. I I included, right, like he starts off with that that idea, this famous passage that uh, we're, uh, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And this is, this, is, this is Jesus describing, that's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, kind of talking about what it's like to be a community who follows in the kingdom of God. Uh, let's do one more, actually two more. Uh, Matthew 8 and 9, let's go to the next slide. Just to give you a sense of how central this is again for Matthew as he talks about the kingdom of God. I'm going to borrow that passage from Matthew 4 because that's what Matthew 8 and 9 does. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness over the people. News about him spread everywhere. And so people just kept bringing those who were ill with various diseases, those who were suffering, the demon-possessed, seizures, paralyzed. They all came to Jesus. Jesus healed them. When you're studying, and I hope you'll do this. I hope hope you'll go back and kind of read through these early chapters of Matthew. When you're in 8 and 9, here's what Matthew wants you to see in chapter 8 and 9. Here's what it looks like when the kingdom of heaven comes near. Here's what it looks like when the kingdom of heaven comes near through the life of Jesus. So it's excerpt after excerpt after excerpt, story after story after story of Jesus healing, casting out evil spirits, restoring and affirming the dignity of people. Just over and over and over, you get these stories. And for Matthew, this is put together in a really particular kind of a way. Five through seven is the sermon Jesus describing life in the kingdom. Eight and nine is Matthew's way of showing here's what it actually looks like when the kingdom of heaven draws near. I actually think it's really helpful to know that when you're reading 8 and 9. And then here's last one. This is then Matthew makes a turn for the rest of the book. Chapter 10. This is how chapter 10 opens up. Jesus called his 12 disciples and then eventually the rest of them. And he gave them authority to do the same thing. To drive out impure spirits this is what we're talking about. That's what we prayed about today. We're talking about all the, all the ways that systemic evil in all of its forms, that's what we're doing is driving out impure spirits behind them. Healing every disease Um, participating with Jesus in the healing of the world. So here's how Matthew kind of then turns the corner for the rest of the book until it comes to the crucifixion of Jesus. It's now, Matthew's made the case that the kingdom of God and the nearest of that kingdom is the central message of Jesus. And from 10 on, it's saying, now you all go do it too. Now you all participate in this too. Repent, put your trust into it, and now participate in this, in joining Jesus Christ in the healing of the world, in the expression of love in all of its forms, in the casting out of evil that tries to diminish the personhood of God's beloved. And this is how Matthew thinks of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's a lot of information, I realized, right? I went back and forth whether to do all that, um, but this felt like the time to do it because the reading that we did today, even though it was all these things, there's John the Baptist, there's Jesus withdrawing because of his sadness of that, um, there's Jesus proclaiming the kingdom. Uh, uh, it's all. This is this is the this is the kind of climax of Matthew in a lot of ways. In chapter four, when Jesus preaches his first words, this is the bottom line. Of what I come back. What I want to come back to. In fact, let's try to let's. A lot of information. What do we do with this? I do think there's some practical things. First, I'd come back to that idea of vision. All right. Here, here's one of two things that I would love for you to take away. The first one is vision. I think it actually is important that we remember how God describes the vision of life with God. There's all kind of important parts that come with life with God, but this is actually how Jesus summarized it. When Jesus talked about the essential message of God, it was in this robust, amazing, complex invitation to repent and step into this reality that the kingdom of God has come near. This is the most essential way that Jesus described what he had come to do, to usher in the kingdom of God and to invite us into the participation. And when you start to really reflect on you realize it almost had to be that big because it includes us as individuals, but it's not just us as individuals, right? It's the entire, the entire created world that's being brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And this is the essential message. And so um, when Jesus teaches us to pray and says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, one of the reasons Jesus does that is to build into our rhythms a daily reflection of this question of, What does it mean? What does it mean to repent and respond to this invitation to be saved by Jesus and then to participate in the life of Jesus? Even though it's a big, I acknowledge that up front, it's a big one, it doesn't always come easy. But in some ways, I actually think that's intentional. I think this is meant to be a lifelong quest where where we continue to ask that question, what is the God of the universe inviting me into when God says, repent, turn away from the kingdoms of this world through baptism come into, not through baptism, through faith, but baptism being a sign of that, come into this faith relationship of being saved and forgiven and redeemed and restored by me and then participating in my coming kingdom, right? I think the vision of that is meant to be uh, uh, meditated on, thought about, talked about, really on a daily basis. I think every day we should be thinking about this question, what does it mean that Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of God is near, and then if I could add, here's here's one more kind of really clear application. I think this is where Matthew's going. If can is it a pain to go all the way back to the original reading um, in Matthew four? Is that you, is that okay? Okay, cool. All right, yeah, let's go all the way back. This will be our last. So a bunch of things happen in Matthew chapter four in this reading that we do. Um, so Jesus, Jesus, go ahead and flip to the next one. So Jesus hears about John the Baptist, he withdraws. There's this kind of Old Testament imagery of what Jesus is going to represent. It's verse 17, Jesus preaches, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. Next one, if you would, Ken. So here, how, how, does, this, how does this account end? You get two sets of future disciples who hear about this. First, you get um, Peter and his brother Andrew. And then after that, you get James and John and the parents, which I think is an important detail. Both of them, when they hear this message, of Jesus saying, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near, what do they do? They drop everything, right? In the first case with uh, uh, Andrew and Peter, it's just them, they drop everything. In the second case, it's actually James and the brother John with the parents, and even for the parents, they are supportive of this. And here's what I think Matthew's trying to say. What I think Matthew's trying to say is, if you hear it clearly, what Jesus is saying, if you see what he's actually inviting you away from and into, if you kind of can wrap your mind around what an incredible invitation this is to be brought fully into the coming kingdom with Jesus, through Jesus, participating with Jesus, when you hear that invitation clearly, nothing else pales in comparison. Nothing else pales in comparison that if you hear it clearly, you will drop everything and focus completely on that. Now, I'm not saying... That means everybody quits their jobs and full-time follows i'm not saying that we all live with that sense of awareness all the time but i do think this is this is what i do believe matthew is trying to clearly say matthew's trying to say if we all heard it clearly we would have the same kind of response that peter andrew james and john have that's the bottom line of what he's trying to say if you hear clearly what jesus is inviting you to this is what it should summon within you and so i never want to like shame or like create a hierarchy of responses and stuff like that um, but I do think sometimes, this is where I think it is connected to vision, the fact that most of us don't respond that way, it's not meant to be so much of a shame thing as much as maybe a reality check a little bit, that we probably just don't hear it clear enough, right? We—we we are not. It's not registering with us just how profound of an invitation this is to leave the old ways, which are just wicked at the end of the day. This isn't about super fine-tuned behavior management all that, it's about a bigger picture of realizing this world left to its own devices always goes where Herod took it. This world left to its own devices, this is what we did last week if you want to hear, Herod Jr., and where, you know, he's managing this like exploitation of young teenager and beheads John the Baptist and it's just all the gross things of power gone awry, we saw it last night in LA, right? This, this is the repetitive pattern where this world goes left to its own devices. And it's selfish, it's cruel, it creates hierarchies. Somebody's always on top, somebody's always on the bottom. It's it's how society always moves. And Jesus is saying, You gotta see where this place goes, left to its own devices. And I have come saying the kingdom of heaven is near. You are welcome into this way of life. Right? You are you are through the waters of baptism. You shed, you, you say, I do not want that kingdom. I do not want that world. I don't want to be just one more person who lives selfishly and greedily and just about myself and not concerned with the welfare of others. I am coming into this full immersion into the kingdom of heaven and now praying with God on a daily basis, thy kingdom will come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This becomes a heart's cry, a heart's prayer when we start to really understand what Jesus invites us to. So that first one, I'd say, just keeping this always front in line, that the vision, as Jesus talked about, it wraps, is wrapped around this idea of both parts. Repenting, and that's a whole big word. I just don't have time. We've done lots of sermons around that, but that's not today's. But repenting, turning away, turning into this new way of life with Jesus, and then having this same kind of, uh, comp- like the compellingness of it. I guess that would be the second word, vision, just the compellingness of it, to like grow in a sense. In fact, sorry, I keep saying last thing. I'm being a good Baptist preacher. This is my third closing. Uh, uh, um, but it's you know, it comes back in there. Matthew says, let me just get the verse on this right, because I think it's a really important, the, the, the way that Matthew says it. Matthew um, finishes there in that last verse. Um, the last one in that reading was that Jesus went out throughout Galilee, teaching the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Proclaiming the good news to remember that this proclamation, this invitation to repent, this proclamation of the nearness of the the kingdom is not ever bad news. It's not ever scary news, unless you're a little Herod that really wants to protect something and hurt people. That's the only, it is real bad news for those people, but for everybody else, it's really good news. So I was in a couple different circles this week, invited people just to reflect for you as an individual, how does the kingdom of God translate as good news for you in this day and age, like in in where you're at in your life? You know what's interesting? For a lot of us, it was actually hard to answer that right away. It seems like that should be a really easy question to answer. Why is the kingdom of God good news? But I think it's just a reminder that like, we're kind of numb to the good news a lot of times. We're surrounded by all the bad news, right? Immersed in all the bad news. Um, sometimes barely can keep our head above the water because of all the bad news, right? And that's real too, But the proclamation of Jesus is that me and my way of life is good news and the good news is bigger news than the bad news. It doesn't mean that there's not the Herods of this world still doing what they do but the, the proclamation of Jesus is actually good news. It's meant to summon something in us that at least every once in a while should kind of look like Peter and Andrew. Like James and John and the parents who supported that. It should not become some behavior management way of lifestyle where you say, what's the what's the rules of a Christian? Am I doing enough? No, 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 no. That doesn't go nearly far enough. Right? It's a, it's good news of a whole new way of operating. And for sure, it's an operating system of love, love God, love neighbor. That's what That's how the kingdom of God moves and works. But it is a holistic, life-changing invitation. And every once in a while, when we see it clearly, we should kind of have that response that James and John do. We should have that response that Peter and Andrew do. Not because we're supposed to. I mean, enthusiasm is not a supposed to do, right? Enthusiasm is just a natural response to something you see compelling. And Matthew wants to see that when people heard that message with clarity, and then that's what chapter 8 and 9 is about. And that's even what the end of 4 is about. I'm doing that thing where I'm getting excited. I'm talking too fast. So I'm going to try to slow myself down as I finish off here. But that's why. Did you see how that? It just says people, over and over people are bringing people to Jesus. Right, They can't wait to get to him. We see this over and over through the account of Matthew. When you see it for what it is, the nearness of the kingdom, it changes everything. Pray with me, if you will. God, as we sit in this space, many of us physically here right now, many of us virtually watching, some listening online, we just sit in the simplicity and yet profound invitation to recognize that through you, the kingdom of God has drawn near that Jesus Christ, the Emmanuel, God with us, that when you come near to us, so does the kingdom of God. And that when we then draw near to you, I think of James, brother of John, who said, draw near to Jesus as he has drawn near to us. So you draw near to us, you bring the kingdom right up to us, you extend those hand those nail-scarred hands and say, come with me. Leave the life of your own personal sin that holds you down in brokenness. Leave the world of selfishness and greed and violence And come with me. (laughs) I'm just even thinking, just even how in the flesh, you, Jesus, joined John the Baptist in the Jordan River. Not even because your sins needed to be forgiven, but you too made a public statement saying, I'm walking away from the way of life that leads to violence and corruption and greed and walking into a way of life that is defined by love by inclusion, by justice, by equity, by bringing the message of God's kingdom to all who want to hear it. And so there's so many dimensions of life with you in the kingdom. But just in the simplest way during our prayer right now, God, I just want each of us to open ourselves up and ask, how do we hear that when the the Spirit of God comes to each one of us right now and says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. How does each of us hear that right now? Does it sound scary? Does it sound judgmental? Does it summon a sense of possibility and excitement? Here's my prayer for us, God, that we would actually hear that invitation in the same way that these people in your day and age who are alive with you, physically heard, audibly heard you say, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Pray that we would hear that through the Spirit who clarifies these things for us, who helps us to hear the Word of God. Help us to know and trust that this is actually what you are saying to each one of us. Over and over and over again. For some of us, we've got to do this. This is a big step the first time we say yes. The first time we say yes, I want to be forgiven of my sins. I, I want to break free from the patterns of this world and be immersed in your love and grace, that's a huge first step. Maybe for some today, that'll be the first time. But this message doesn't get old. For those of us, even who have been trying to follow you for a long time, we hear this invitation to repent, to be forgiven of our sins, to turn from old ways, and then to join you to be immersed into your love and into your way of life, knowing that as the good shepherd, you kind of lead us into that holding our hand, helping us to grow into what it looks like to participate in that. So one more time, I just bring us to the simplicity and yet the profound words of the God of the universe who says to each of us, repent. Leave behind the old, join the new, for the kingdom of God is near. May we hear it clearly. May it register in the way you want it to register, where we realize this is the most incredible vision we could be invited to, that how you think about our life is so much better than we could ever think of our life. How you think of how this world should work is so much better than how we could ever think of it. And that it wouldn't be some kind of reluctant yes. I mean, we all have our own story of how we say yes, but I, I think one of the things we see in this text is that when we hear what we just got invited into, like Andrew, like Peter, like Jimes, like John, like others who we read in these stories, well, it just, everything else pales in comparison. We want to be with you. Thank you, God. Amen. And just prayerfully as we get ready to finish here, I think of the last song we sang before going into the passage, now this one, and we sang, I am my beloved's and he is mine. Take me to the garden. Take delight in me, let me take delight in you. These are all connected. Life in the kingdom is not some stringent, authoritarian kind of a thing. It feels like being brought into a life-changing encounter with love every day and to being sent out. It certainly requires action and activity, but you just show up a different way when you know you're loved. So, King of glory, be with us as we be with you. Teach us the ways of the kingdom, we pray. Amen. If you're able, will you stand for our closing benediction? As a reminder, if you're going to participate in midweek, if you could please let me know that today. And also, I'd encourage you, you know, sometimes you're looking for something to do devotionally. I'd encourage you, Matthew 1 through 9, like take a chapter each day and look at it just through the lens of the kingdom of God, what Matthew's trying to teach us about the kingdom. I'd encourage you to do that let me uh, take us to this beautiful and familiar way Jesus talks about the kingdom of God in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. This is Matthew 6, 13. And interesting, Jesus is talking about anxiety. We all have anxiety at some level, worry at some level. Jesus is saying, look, I get it. You're wondering what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, how things are going to work out for you. That's all real. God cares about that. And then here's how Jesus finishes chapter 6. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. The justice and righteousness that comes with that and all these other things will be given to you as well. It's just another way of him saying this is freeing, it's life-changing, it's foundational. Seek first the kingdom, the righteousness and justice that comes with it. All else comes. May that encourage you as you head into your week. I love you all. Be blessed. Be blessed.